0: We are in a, a new series called Jesus Creed. And one of the things we wanted to do was each week um, potentially introduce us to some of the creeds of the early church. And so we are going to uh, put what is called the Apostles Creed up on the screen. And I'm going to invite you to read that together with me. And then we'll talk a little bit more about it um, just briefly this morning. And the next week we'll look at a different creed. And then the one after that, a different one. And it'll just be introducing us to some of the the history uh, that we have, which is so a rich part of the church. So read together with me the Apostles' Creed. We just sang it, but we'll read it in full this morning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, I want to thank you that, um, Jesus, when you came, uh, you completely, uh, as we talked about last week, you reframed our thinking of people who had an awareness of God. And you you did that for the religious people when you walked on this earth, and you've been doing it for Countless millions uh, from then on, we have images of who God is. And then when we are introduced to you, uh, you affirm some of those images and you correct other ones. And I thank you that this statement is an example of uh, our ancestors trying to understand what it meant for you to be God and for God to be God, the Father to be God, for the Spirit to be God, for the importance and value of the church and the communion of saints, and uh, holding on to the resurrection, uh, which is part of the, the hope of the Christian message that God will set all things right again, and that we have something to look forward to. We know that the roots to, of the tree to which we belong run deep and wide and they connect us back into our source of life. I know that there are people here today who um, are just ecstatic about the change in season, uh, the increased sunshine, um, the warmer weather. And for many, uh, it may feel like we've come through a long winter. And for many... um, it might be something different. But as we anticipate the coming of spring, as we think about our lives, as we think about those we love, as we think about uh, all the situations in our world, um, we're reminded that there is this uh, sense of, of looking forward to things that are new, uh, things that are fresh, things that are full of life. And may today be no different um, in expecting you to create new life. That's one of the things that you do. Is not only do you bring us into right standing, but you give us new lives. And so I pray today that uh, through your spirit, uh, we would experience uh, the life that you long to give us. And that day by day, that would grow and become more and more vibrant and fulfilling. Jesus, thank you for being present among us. Uh, we offer ourselves to you today as an act of worship. Amen. There we go. I want to talk about fundamentals today. And cuz I think most people like fundamentals because most things in life get really complicated. And if we could just understand the fundamentals of something, we feel like we've got a better grasp of it. So, for example, I coached uh, high school volleyball for years and years. And uh, especially with the younger ages, uh, they wanted to do all these amazing plays and trick runs. And um, if you're a volleyball player, you'll know about things like tandems and shoots and all that kind of stuff. And they wanted to do all these things, but they needed to learn the fundamentals. So I taught them this. When you serve the ball, it's got to go over the net and into that big square area. <laughs> that is the first fundamental. When the other team serves the ball, you've got to be able to receive it and get it back up in the air. If you can't do those two things, you are not going to be able to do anything else. Fundamentals. And that applies to a lot of things. Those, we have some people here that are bri- brilliant business people. And they would tell you about the fundamentals of good business. I have no idea what they are. I'm not a business person. Budgeting. There are all kinds of things about budgeting, but you come down to the fundamentals. You can't spend more than you make. If you can grasp those two things, you're well on your way to understanding all the other things that revolve around budgeting. Good politics. It's just funny. You just say a word and people start laughing. Yeah, it says something about the, the state of our society right now, but there are fundamentals to good politics. Where it doesn't matter which party you're talking to, they will probably, um, they might disagree on how to reach those fundamentals, but they would talk about the fundamentals of good politics. And in some ways, um, we, this is just true for so many things, including faith. Faith. And in the church, uh, people will um, wrestle with, you know, what does God want from me? There are so many things to know when it comes to faith. And sometimes people get overwhelmed, and they get concerned, and they get confused. And, And so today we want to talk about fundamentals. That is one of the things that the creeds do, is they bring us back to fundamentals, And I actually want to share with you some of the earliest creeds in the church. See, the Apostles' Creed that we read is from probably around the end of the 4th century, even though it might be tied back to an earlier creed from the 2nd century after Christ or the Common Era. But I want to go actually back to some of the earliest creeds that the early Christians proclaimed and adhered to. um, just within a few short years after Jesus. And so I'm going to share some of them with you. And you actually find them in your Bibles. So today, uh, we're going to camp out uh, in a little bit uh, in one of the Gospels. But if you want to get your Bible out, you can follow along. We're going to put some of these scriptures up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, but you'd like to actually read along in the book, uh, if you put your hand up, our ushers will grab some of our guest Bibles, and they will give them to you. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you are free to take it home. It's our gift to you. So um, just put your hand up and they'll bring those to you. But I want to start with some of the earliest creeds of the church, one found particularly in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. This is the the Apostle Paul. He's a leader in the early church. He's a church planter. He's a prolific writer, uh, particularly of letters. This is a letter that he wrote to Christians in Rome. And he said this in Romans 10. The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. Sounds like, you know, here's a creed to know. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because it's with your heart that you believed and are justified, it is with your mouth that you confessed and are saved. So here's Jesus saying, uh, or here's the Apostle Paul saying, here is one of the earliest creeds of the church. Jesus is Lord. Can you say that with me this morning? Jesus is Lord. When you make that statement, you are proclaiming one of the earliest statements of faith that the church has proclaimed for thousands of years. It's very simple. And yet the implications of that statement are huge. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar. Donald is not. If Jesus is Lord, then Justin is not. Or any other person or thing that you want to put in a place of having authority over you. Jesus is Lord. And what that means is profound. So that was one of the earliest creeds in the church. Here's another one the Apostle Paul gives us from 1 Corinthians 15. And and most of what we get is from Paul. He wrote so many of these letters. So in 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about the resurrection uh, based on on Jesus. So in 15, verses 3 to 5, Paul writes this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. So here's Paul again saying, this is what I received. And of course, this is within just a few years after the death of Jesus. Paul is saying, this is what I was taught. And now I'm teaching it to you. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He raised on the third day. And then he appeared to Peter and the 12. And that is one of the earliest statements of faith that gets repeated in the early church again and again. If you read through the book of Acts, you often wonder, like, what is the gospel? What do we preach? Read through the book of Acts and look what the, what the early Christians preached. They preached that Jesus is Lord and they preached his death and his resurrection over and over and over again. And they said, this is what good news is. Which is important because you need to remember what they didn't preach, which is a lot of the things that have been coming up in the church for a long time now, and that people wonder how that could possibly be good news. So let's look at one more creed, Philippians chapter 2. It was actually um, quite likely, not actually, but quite likely, a song that was sung in the early church. And again, Paul is saying, um, let me share this with you. And he says to people, your attitude needs to be like Jesus. And then here's the creed, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." And here, interestingly, this one is taking his, his death and his resurrection and then combining it with the statement, Jesus is Lord. These are the earliest statements of faith that we have in the church. And of course, as um, as the early Christians went out and they preached about Jesus. Other people came to faith. And then those people went and they preached about Jesus and other people came to faith. And it was always trying to tie it back to who Jesus was and what Jesus did and what Jesus said. And so over hundreds of years, you see Christianity spreading throughout the entire world at that time of what they were aware of. And what begins to happen is as time goes by and more and more people are hearing and teaching, that there begins to be a little bit of concern around some of the things that are maybe not quite on center of what has always been taught, what has always been understood. And so what the church does is they begin to gather and they say, what are the fundamentals that we need to ensure that people understand? And they come up with the creeds. more than just these passages of Scripture Uh, it got more complicated, and so they tried to bring it back to what are the fundamentals? And so you have the Apostles' Creed, you have the Nicene Creed, which we'll look at next week, which, you know, has its source in the beginning of the fourth century. And I think there's value in the creeds in the sense that the church was trying to help people understand what are the fundamentals, what is it that we need to make sure people understand? One of the things I particularly like about the Apostles' Creed is, uh, I don't know about you, but, but I've noticed that there are times when people tend to disagree over important things, like politics or religion. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But in the church, we particularly do a good job of really trying to define what we think is the truth that people need to know. And so some people can get quite argumentative over all kinds of things. And this is where I think there's value in the creeds. But not because of what they say, because of what they don't say. So if I meet someone who's combative about the fact that, um, oh I don't, I, I don't know, um, speaking in tongues, and if you're new here and, and faith is new, that's going to be a, a weird concept for you. Um, it's okay. Um, but people will disagree over their, whether there's value in that or not. And they might even want to, like, be angry at each other because they don't agree, and they don't want to play well together in the sandbox. And I would just say, go back to the creeds. It's not just what they say that's important. It's what's not in there. And if it's not in there, it's probably not worth getting too worked up about. So I think there's great value in the creeds of the church trying to understand the Trinity. How could Jesus be God and God be God and the Spirit be God? Um, And they try to make sense of that. And that's where you get these developments of faith. And they're trying to make sure that, for the most part, people are aware of the fundamentals, but there's, there's a few things to be aware of with the creeds that there, you might consider difficulties. And one of them, I think, is, is really big. You might disagree with me, and that's okay. But if you go through the Apostles' Creed, I believe uh, in God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered and died, was crucified, buried, rose again. There's something missing in there. And I don't know if you've ever picked up on it. It's all about Jesus. And it starts with Jesus was conceived and he was born. Jesus died and he rose again. What's missing? His life. By the time you get to the fourth century, and now Christianity has become kind of the religion of the state, what ends up happening is Jesus kind of gets held up and, and then used as a symbol of power and victory, so to speak. And what gets pushed to the back of the stage is the life and the teachings of Jesus. And if we miss the life and the teachings of Jesus, we miss a very large part of the good news story. One church leader from, from the Russian church said, if, the creed, uh, if you haven't lived the creed, then it's not part of you. And what he was getting at is, you can't, you can't take doctrine and divorce it from ethics. And one of the things I appreciate about our Anabaptist heritage is that we take the ethics of Jesus very seriously. And I think the other issue with the creeds is we just have to remember that sometimes the creeds have been used to to alienate and to exclude people. And and I want to give you an example of this. And I I don't think this is really at all prevalent here, but I think it's worth paying attention to. So you can go to, you can look up the Apostles' Creed, and one of the first websites you'll find is the ApostlesCreed.org. And this is what uh, is written in there. The Apostles' Creed is the foundation of all modern Christian theology. To deny any part of the Apostles' Creed is to be ignorant of the crucial teachings of the Christian church. The Apostles' Creed formulates the argument from the Christian Catholic faith, giving a firm foundation to build your philosophy of life on. If you don't agree with everything in the Apostles' Creed, then you may not potentially be Christian and build your life on the foundation of the Apostles' Creed. And I would just say, I have, I have problems with that. I would just invite people, rather than building your life on on a bunch of people trying to figure out what they think are the most important things of the faith, I would actually invite you to just build your life on the foundation of Jesus himself. And people would say, well, the creeds are about Jesus. And we know Jesus through the creeds. And Paul, you're being pedantic. You are being really nitpicky about some minor differences. And, and, And I might be. But I think what happens... When we hold up doctrine, our doctrine, and we say, This is, if you don't believe this, then you are not a part of us. As soon as we start doing that, that leads to a very different result than inviting people to follow Jesus and have all their questions about him and have all of their hang ups in life and all of their sinful patterns and habits, of course, we don't have any, but other people do. (laughs) You follow one or you follow the other, you're going to end up in some very different places. And I just think it's worth paying attention. So it's not to say that the creeds are bad. It's just I think we need to be careful and pay attention to uh, some of the challenges that come along with them. And these early creeds that we find in the scriptures are beautiful and wonderful. Jesus is Lord. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. Wonderful statements of faith. The Apostles' Creed, wonderful statement of faith. And if we're talking about creeds, I want to introduce us to just one creed that, that I would say, if someone said, there's got to be a creed that we can all live by, and that we can all agree with, then I would say, well, I think potentially there is. And it, I would call it the Jesus Creed. And it's found in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 39. But I'm going to read at verse 34. And we're going to put this creed up for you. And when I get to it, um, you can follow along. So here's Jesus arguing with some religious leaders. Well, they've actually come to him. And this is what we read in Matthew 22, beginning of verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, these are two religious groups that didn't agree with each other about a number of things. Jesus just had a conversation with the Sadducees, so the Pharisees heard that uh, he had silenced them with his answer to their question, so they met together to question him again. And one of them, who was an expert in the religious law, tried to trap him with this question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses. And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And I would just like to introduce this creed to us. Maybe you've never thought of it as a creed. You've just thought of it as the greatest commandment. But I think of all the things that we've been called to adhere to and to live by, this is the most fundamental. So uh, in Jesus' day, uh, and and since, uh, Jewish scholars have debated all the commands that are in the Hebrew Bible, or what we call the Old Testament. And they actually have tried to ascertain how many commands are there? And the predominant uh, conclusion is that there are 613 commands in the Old Testament. And yet different schools have kind of said, well, we can narrow that down to 50. Well, we could narrow that down to 11. We can narrow that down to three. And in some ways, old habits die hard because I think in the church, we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what are all the fundamentals that we need to adhere to. Sometimes we come up with the Apostles' Creed. And when Jesus was put to the test, he came up with this. Just these two. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, five and Leviticus 19.18. And we're actually going to look at those more uh, next week. We're going to spend a couple of weeks camped out on this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this horse and I'm going to beat it silly um, for a number of weeks. And so I'm just, I'm just giving you a heads up, uh, a, uh, a warning, I don't know, that, that doesn't sound very good. Uh, I'm giving you the encouragement for the, for the next three or four weeks, um, we're going to ride that horse, and, um, and we're going to have fun learning and exploring it together. It's very simple, and yet some of the outcomes and the things uh, that we can understand about it are quite profound. So he just boils it down to these, and what's interesting, as you read in Matthew 22, or there's another version of it in Mark chapter 12, I think beginning at verse 38. And there's another version of it in Luke chapter 10. So this, this kind of this teaching from Jesus appears in three of the four, what we call gospels or good news stories of Jesus. And leading up to this, Jesus has been having, um, I don't know, uh, he's been tussling with the religious leaders. And and I'm always fascinated that the people that Jesus ends up having uh, debates with or arguments with are predominantly, almost always, uh, religious people, devoutly religious people who have all the right answers. And the people who are... um, Not sure about life, not sure about God, not sure whether God cares about them or loves them. I I just see Jesus having profound grace with them. But anyway, um, as you read through, beginning um, in Matthew 19, Jesus is having this back and forth with, with these leaders, these religious leaders. And he's actually, he's really harsh on them in some of his teaching kind of comparing them to some evil farmers in one story that he tells. And then they come back and they challenge him. They question his authority. He's come into Jerusalem, what we call the triumphal entry. We'll be celebrating that in April for Palm Sunday. And he comes into Jerusalem. And then after that, they're saying, like, you know, who gives you the authority to to say what you're saying and to do these things? And, of course, he's back and forth with them. And then they want to challenge him. And they ask him a question about politics, uh, and I think what a great way. If you want to trap somebody, ask them publicly their view about politics. Do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And of course, the famous response that Jesus does he gets a coin. He says, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. Um, and we could have so much fun with all the implications of that. And so he silences them. And then he tells another story. And then the Sadducees, another group of religious leaders, come along and they want to challenge him on his views of the afterlife. And, of course, he silences them. And then the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are coming back, and they want to challenge him again. And the expert on this religious law, an expert on the religious law, tries to pigeonhole him. Tell us, what do you think is the most important command? And see, at this point, the stakes are so high. Everybody's watching. Everybody's listening. They are waiting to see how Jesus is going to answer. I don't know if things could get any more tense or any more uh, compressed into a single moment of ultimate reality. And when everything is on the line and people want to know, what is it that we've got to do to make God happy, so to speak? Jesus says this, love God. And love others. Everything else that you want to fuss about comes out of these two things. I have said this several times, and I will say it a thousand more times before I die. God is far more concerned with how well we love than with how much we know. I'm going to say that again. God is far more concerned about how well we love than about how much we know. You know, in in the Luke 10 passage, uh, it's this, another religious leader, a young guy asking Jesus... What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? But just before that, Jesus said, God, I praise you because you've hidden these things from people who think that they are wise and clever. And you've revealed them to little children. And then the religious leader says, well, what's, you know, what's the most important command? What do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, you know what the prophet says. He yeah, love God, love your neighbors yourself. Jesus says, do that and you'll live. Love well and you'll live. And of course, we'll get to this in a couple of weeks. His famous question, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And you can read about that in Luke chapter 10. When everything else is on the line, when you are not sure what to do, when all else fails, love. And it's a little bit bothersome, I think, for some of us because that is way too simplistic. There are too many things to know. Too many things to understand. we got to make sure that we teach people properly and that they have the right answers, that they know the right things. And I am not trying to um, put down good um, discipleship or ethics. But over and over again, Jesus and his earliest followers pushed people to love well. And when everything was on the line, when Jesus was asked, what is the most important thing that we need to hold on to? It wasn't figuring out the Trinity. It wasn't deciding how the resurrection is going to work. It was love God and love your neighbor. God doesn't ask for our answers, But of course love compels us to seek the truth. God doesn't ask for our status or our prestige. And yet love invites us to come under people and serve them. God doesn't ask for our logical, rational minds to comprehend everything. And yet love encourages us to seek wisdom and live wisely. He doesn't ask for a lot but he does ask for our love. Sounds a lot like a parent. What does it mean to love God? How do you love God? That's a fair question, isn't it? What does God want? All he wants is your love. Okay, great. Tell me how to love God, and I will. And uh, actually, in our home churches, I think we've asked this question you know, what needs to happen in your life for you to be able to love God? And I think for each and every one of you, this is probably going to look a little bit differently. How you love God is going to look a little bit differently than how someone else is going to love God. Because you're unique. And we can answer this as a community, too. What does it mean for us to love God? Well, part of the answer to that is actually in the second commandment, the one that he lumps with it, is you love God by loving your neighbor. You love God by loving others like you love yourself. But uh, let me get more specific, because when you ask this question, you're not the only one who's asked it. If you go to 1 John chapter 5, John, who's a leader in the the later part of the early church, actually writes, uh, and he says, how do we know that we love God? If we obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. So people are asking that question, how do I know that I'm loving God? And John says, well, obey his commands. They're not burdensome. Now, if you go to the gospel of John, in John chapter 14, uh, John has Jesus speaking to his disciples, and actually Jesus says to them, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Interesting. I think it's John 14, verse 15. And then in John 15, verse 10, Jesus says, when you obey my commands, you remain in my love. And of course, this is begging the question, is it not? What are the commands of Jesus? Just jump back to John 13. And Jesus actually said, Jesus, who's the one that said, all the law and the prophets I've fulfilled, they have their fulfillment in me. In John 13, Jesus says, now I'm giving you a new command. And guess what the new command is? Love each other. How do I love God? Love his commands. What are his commands? Love each other. All the law and the prophets are summed up in these two things. They all make sense in these two things. And it just brings us right back to this Jesus creed in Matthew 22 or Mark 12 or Luke 10. So here's a question I want to kind of finish with. Um, you know, when all else fails, you don't know what to do, love. You love God, you keep Him in the center of your life. That heart, soul, mind, that's there. Um, you know, the heart, the cardia, that's the center of your spiritual, physical being. The soul or the suke, that's the center of your desires, your, your feelings. Um, the mind or the dianoia, that's the faculty of understanding keep God in the center of your life. You love God by keeping him in the center of your life. Part of the way that you do that is to obey the commands of Jesus. And the fundamental command of Jesus is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there'll be all kinds of things that come out of that, but they always come back down to these things. I get asked, like, how do you live all this stuff out? And my answer is, look at the motivation of your heart. Is it filled with love for your creator? Is it filled with love for the person in front of you, the people around you? That's always a good litmus test for what you're doing. When all else fails, and you don't know what to do, love. Amen. Amen. So uh, the, I think the slide's been up there a couple times. If you have questions, um, we're going to do some Q&A here. Lisa's going to come up, and uh, she has the phone. You can text questions. If you want to raise your hand and ask a question and you do that, someone will bring you a microphone, and um, one of our ushers will bring the microphone, and you can ask your question that way. But do we, if you're coming up, I'm assuming that there are questions, Lisa. Okay, wonderful
1: this one on okay so the first one we have is the life and teaching of Jesus isn't in the creed yet our BIC tradition believes that these are crucially important in how we live our faith journey out how do we have dialogue with people of other traditions who don't believe it's as important as we do
0: yeah how do we have conversations with people who who think that the creed is more important than we do am I getting that right Just that last part of the question.
1: How do we have dialogue with people of other traditions who don't believe it's as important as we do?
0: Oh, okay. So other people who don't believe that the, the Apostles' Creed... The or teaching
1: of Jesus. The teaching She's of Jesus is Creed. not
0: as important as we do. Um, yeah, what do you do when people don't agree with you on Jesus and on his teachings? Um, well, interestingly... Um, the follower, when I look at how Jesus interacted with people, he was always gracious. Uh, he was always willing to let people disagree with him. He never forced himself on people or forced them to follow him. He let people walk away. Um, the early leaders, as you read through passages um, uh, like in Timothy and Titus, um, Peter writing, they would say things like this um, Always be gentle in how you answer people who oppose you. Uh, Always be full of respect. Don't get sucked into quarrels and divisive arguments that don't serve a purpose. And so I would actually be quite willing if somebody said, hey, I don't think that the teachings of Jesus are as important. I might just simply say, well, that's really interesting. Like, I wonder if you could tell me some more about that. Like, what is it about the teachings that you don't find important? Or what do you find important about Jesus? And I'd I'd like to hear a little bit more. And so maybe just respond with with a heart that's willing to listen to somebody rather than getting myself all backed up and ready for an argument, um, I might seek to understand. And a good way of doing that is to ask questions to see if you could clarify that. So I I think that's how I would approach it. Um, Somebody might approach it differently, but that's likely what I would do.
1: Um, so you talked a lot about uh, the importance of love, and you talked about that more a bit more so than over proper knowledge of faith. Um, so, won't that lead to people who are weak in faith if we don't ensure that we're teaching them properly?
0: Yeah, if we focus on love, 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 and we and we don't teach people about the faith, they're going to end up as weak people. Um, yeah, I think that's a valid. It's a valid comment. It's a valid question. Um, so everything that I'm saying today is not to downplay uh, knowledge uh, about God. But there's something interesting that I see in, in our human condition. And one of the things is that we, in, we appreciate facts. We like data. And we like knowledge so that we can put it out. That's why Jeopardy is such a great show to watch, right? Because if you watch Jeopardy, and you answer at least three of the questions on a Jeopardy! show, you're feeling pretty smart. (laughs) So we like facts, and when we can give the right answers, uh, even when it comes to faith, we feel like we're doing good. And so to me, there's a difference between knowledge about God and knowing God. And yet, you can't know somebody without having some of the facts about them. So I think when we're talking about, at least from my perspective, when I'm talking about seeing people grow, I want them to have information and knowledge that brings them closer to God in relationship rather than just seeing it as useful facts, helpful facts to know so that I can give them to somebody else to show them how much I know about God. And so I think... um, like when Jesus said, I fulfilled all these commandments. These are all things that we're supposed to know. But Jesus is saying, they're all pointing to me. They, are, they find their culmination in me. And here's the newest thing I'm giving you. It's the ability to love. So that's why, that's why the gospel is, like Jesus says, you can't enter unless you enter like a little child. Children don't know very much. But they do know the fundamentals. Fundamentals. See, we know so much more about God. Most of us here in this room, myself included, know way more about the things we're supposed to be doing in our Christian walk than we are actually doing. So I'm convinced convinced that we don't need any more sermons for the next six weeks. So I'm going to take a break. And instead, we're going to actually have some conversations about what it looks like to live out... These things. I am joking, um, but but I think if we did that, we wouldn't be doing something wrong. Most of us have so much knowledge, and what we lack is actually letting it filter into our lives and work itself out in our everyday living. And that's not, meant, that's not meant to be like a, a judgment or anything. It's just reality. That's, that's who we are. So it's, it's not to downplay the knowledge, but if it's knowledge for the sake of knowledge, um, I think if it doesn't lead us into a closer relationship with God, into becoming more loving people, then I think we've missed the boat somewhere. So that's a really long answer <laughs> to, uh, to a very short question. So that was like a second sermon um, that... Anyway.
1: Okay. Uh, How do you love someone who is continually and openly hostile to you and has mocked your faith?
0: Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, no. um, This is... Okay. So how do you love someone who is hard to love and they mock your faith and they're openly hostile to you? See, this is where the gospel gets really, really beautiful see one of the criticisms is that you know we're two we're too beetles like all you need is love all you need is love 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 is all you need how's that gonna stop somebody from hurting somebody or whatever like there are so many people in my life that i that i hate that i can't love and, and i would love it if you could all just say that there are people in my life that i i want to hate them <laughs> It feels good to have a visceral reaction to that person. And this is where the beauty of the gospel comes in. Because Jesus says, the life that I give you, this new life that you live in me, can lead you into seeing this person with the eyes of love. And that does not mean that you are becoming a doormat. That does not mean that you just let somebody walk all over you. But it does mean that you can respond to hostility with love. It does mean that you can respond to indifference with love. And, and love, people are going to say, well, what does that look like? I don't know because I don't know you and I don't know the person to whom you are speaking or in relationship with. But you know what love would look like to them. And when everything in you wants to just turn away and walk away from them or stay facing them and engage in certain actions... Uh, let the love of God so fill you that actually what comes out of you is a reaction of love. And that will do so much more than showing them why they're wrong or showing them that your argument is better than their argument. Um, Even though you may have a loving engagement that way, um, that is how I would answer that question. And, and I have lived that question, and I still live it with, with people in my life. And it's so much easier to, to do tit for tat. And when I live yielded or surrendered to, to Jesus, who is Lord, and I'm going to live out his teaching, then he calls me to respond with love towards that hostility, because I take his teaching seriously. Are we all done? One more? One more? Yeah, we got time for One more. you got time for one more, don't you? Okay. (laughs) Someone said no. Uh, You can go. (laughs) You are free to go. You're always free to go.
1: Are we really Catholic? Because the creed says that I believe in the Holy Catholic Church.
0: Yeah, I didn't bother um, explaining that because it's just kind of fun to let people wonder, like, are are we supporting the Catholic Church? Um, You know, I believe in... um, in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the, in the Holy Catholic Church. Uh, Catholic is actually just a word that means universal. So, uh, so it's not a capital C Catholic like the Catholic Church. Although I personally believe in the Catholic Church, I may not agree with everything that that they would teach. But neither do I agree with lots of my Protestant brothers and sisters. I don't care. Um, So many Catholic people I know are filled with the Spirit of God and love God. Like, I'm not going to sit there and say, like, you're going to hell, you go to heaven, you go to hell, you go to heaven. I'm not sure about you. We'll wait. Um, So Catholic is just a word that means universal. And I say that, and you need to understand, like, you know, even some of our leaders here in the church, they might disagree with me. Well, I've got issues with the Catholic church. And I'd be like, we're going to disagree on that. Um, And I'm okay with that. So, um, yeah, I just think that we, we bring it back to, you know, when we quote that, we're not, we're not saying the Catholic Church. We're saying the universal church. And that's just a word that I think we need to hold on to. So, and if you don't like it, use the word universal. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's finish... We're going to put the, the slide back up. Let's, we recited the Apostles' Creed, but today we want to finish with reciting uh, the Jesus' Creed. So let's recite this together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Amen. So. Do these things and you'll be well on your way this week. We'll see you guys next Sunday.